You are now listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, John Cuh. Unfortunately, as we mentioned last week, uh, Lee had to get put on steroids because of some issues with his vocal cords, uh, and it looks like MLB was actually pretty serious about their 80-game ban, so I don't know if he's going to be back anytime soon. Uh, but <laughs> actually, in, in reality, I'm flying solo today because Lee needs to be on vocal rest before he has surgery to remove a polyp on his vocal cord, so he'll be back with us soon. However, the show must go on. On today's show, I'm going to recap you on everything that happened this past week, and later on, I'll be joined by Matt Philpy, writer at Pitchalist, to discuss his latest article on a couple MVPs um, who are hoping to regain their former MVP form. But leading off with some injury notes, Javier Baez had a sore thumb on Wednesday, and he was supposed to be back in the lineup on Thursday. Unfortunately, got scratched again, so I think you should consider him day-to-day for now. Uh, it's just really unfortunate for that Detroit offense because they were looking good with him in it. Obviously, he had that uh, walk-off on the first game. Uh, but hopefully, he's back into form, um, and we'll see a healthy bias again soon. Uh, Lance Lynn, who had surgery earlier this month, uh, was able to play catch on Wednesday. Initially, there was a four- to six-week outlook for him to come back uh, to repair a torn tendon, but it looks like he might be coming back a little bit earlier. Uh, I wouldn't really put too much stock into it, but either way, it's good to see that he's healing maybe a little bit quicker than we were expecting. Uh, John Gray is aiming to return from the aisle on Tuesday against Seattle. Uh, should be a good matchup there. He looked good against the Blue Jays in Toronto, uh, but he did get a blister, and it just gave him a little bit of issue. Uh, struggled a little bit in the fourth inning, and the Rangers put him on IL. But hopefully he'll be back next week. Uh, and then finally, Alex Kirilov got put on the 10-day IL with r- right wrist inflammation. Uh, in response, the Twins called up Trevor Larnick up to the big leagues. Uh, for Kirilov, this is actually the same wrist that he injured last year, ended up getting surgery on. Um, and he kind of mentioned in a interview that he's actually just never felt right about the wrist, even after surgery. So it uh, really sucks to see for Kirilov, um, but hopefully uh, some rest will do him well. Moving on to some game recaps. Uh, this weekend, we saw Byron Buxton go two for five on Sunday, hitting two homers off Marco Gonzalez. Uh, they came in back-to-back innings, and it's just with a continued streak of three home runs, actually, for, for Byron. Um, and so he's he's definitely looking good to start out the season, um, and hopefully it's just a sign of things to come. Obviously can't talk about this weekend, or really opening week in baseball, without mentioning a rookie sensation, Stephen Kwan. Uh, obviously, he's been one of the unsung heroes of opening week, just going ham, getting on base at every opportunity possible. Uh, he over the weekend he went five for five with two with a double and four runs on Sunday, um, and it's just it's exciting to see someone a rookie doing so well and getting on base and uh, just having that great play discipline. Obviously, the streak of you know not having a single whiff uh, came to an end. But, you know, I, I think we'll just wait for him to start another streak. So, obviously good to see from Stephen Kwan. Uh, also, some other performances that were notable. Uh, Francisco Lindor went one for three with a home run, a run and an RBI, a walk, and a stolen base, which is awesome to see from Lindor. Uh, he's looking good to start the season. Um, and obviously, after last year's a uh, little bit of a dud, um, I think it's, it's exciting to see Lindor kind of get back to form. So, um, hopefully, if you have him on your uh, rosters, it's great. 
um, and maybe see if you can swing a trade for him if, if that's someone who you have your eye on. One of the starts I said that I was excited for last week was Hunter Green. Um, just the guy could throw absolute gas. Um, and he was the headliner on Nick's SP roundup uh, that came out on Monday. Um, he pitched on Sunday and he got a goal and goal. He went five innings, three earned runs, four hits, two walks, seven Ks, 14 whiffs, 32% CSW over 92 pitches. Honestly, it wasn't the greatest performance from Green. I think you saw the issues with the command there, um, with the two walks. Obviously, he gave up three earned runs. And it just wasn't the greatest performance. Um, with the he allowed four hits on his fastball, including a double and two home runs. Um, and maybe it's maybe we want to tap the brakes a little bit on Green. Um, obviously, if he does uh, get better, maybe someone to worth look at. But he is scheduled to play the Dodgers next, so um, just bench him for a week if you've got him on your teams, uh, and hopefully he ends up paying dividends for the rest of the season because obviously that would be awesome to see. Uh, Zach Eflin, who is also another guy we are interested in picking up potentially for a stream, went four innings, zero in runs, two hits, two walks, three Ks, eight whiffs, 21% CSW. Um, just wasn't the the start that was going to wow you, but obviously he was coming back a little bit from injury. Um, so it's good to at least see him out there pitching. Um, and I think you can probably start him with confidence next, uh, especially against the Marlins. So, yeah, I definitely think Eflin is someone to look out for um, this week. And hopefully it's he's someone you're able to get on your team. Moving on to Monday's performances, uh, start off with Andrew Benatendi, who went three for three with a homer, two runs, three RBIs, two walks. Uh, that's kind of been the pinnacle for him this season so far. Uh, but hopefully this is a sign of things to come for Benatendi. Obviously, people were projecting him to be that 20 home run, 20 steal guy. And I think he still has the opportunity to do that. He hasn't had a steal attempt yet this season. Uh, but hopefully those come as the season goes on for the Royals. Uh, Paul Blackburn for Oakland went five innings, no earned runs, three hits, one walk, seven Ks, uh, overall 38% CSW, over 71 pitches. Uh, however, if you're looking to pick him up, he does have Toronto this Saturday, so I'd probably stay away from that matchup. But he does go up against the Orioles next, so if you want to snag him a little bit afterwards, that Toronto start, um, that might be worth it. Moving on, Seiya Suzuki went two for four with two home runs, two runs, two RBIs on April 12th. Um, he's the only MB MLB player with eight-plus RBIs and four-plus walks in his first four games. Um, and also with this performance, he joined Shohei Otani as the only Japanese-born players to hit three homers in their first four games. So obviously it's a great pickup if you got Seiya Suzuki in your drafts late. Um, he's definitely uh, paying dividends. Um, and I think he's the real deal. Uh, Jose Ramirez uh, went three for five with a run, a home run, and six RBIs. Uh, hitting a grand slam contributed to that. Um, he also hit another homer on Wednesday. Um, and so he's got more RBIs than the entire Marlins and the Orioles team. Uh, obviously, he's by far the best fantasy third baseman available. He can definitely eclipse 120 RBIs, especially with Miles Straw and Stephen Kwan batting ahead of him. Uh, those two guys just get on base all the time, and they're just, you know, it's going to be easy for Ramirez to bring him home. Uh, and then also on April 12th, we got some great pitching uh, performances uh, from Matt Brash, first of all, who made his Major League debut. Congratulations. He went 5.1 innings, two earned runs, four hits, one walk, six Ks, 31% uh, CSW over 85 pitches. 
Uh, according to Eno Sears, he's got the best stuff plus so far this season, which is awesome to see from Prash. Um, and he's definitely someone who hopefully uh, you're able to pick up on your waiver wire. Uh, but if not, uh, if he's available, definitely go get him. Uh, he's, I think he's definitely worth the pickup. Uh, Ty Lord McGill showed up again. 5.1 innings, zero in runs, three hits, no walks, five Ks. 32% CSW against the powerful hitting lineup of the Phillies. Um, no one could touch him. Schwarber, Riamuto, Harper, Castellanos, Hoskin. None of them were able to really get the ball in the bathroom. And so he was sitting 96 too. So obviously if he's available, pick him up. Um, and if you want, feel free to get some Ty Lord McGill shirts uh, from the PL merch store. Uh, and then you, Darvish, ugh, if you had him on your fantasy team like we did, you probably weren't really happy about that. Uh, he went 1.2 innings, 9 earned runs, 8 hits, 2 walks, 2 Ks, 57 pitches. Um, just, ugh, hate to see it, right? I don't think we should panic with Darvish, though. Um, sure, this is going to be a hard start to stomach, but two years ago, he was the worst pitcher in baseball, and then for the next four months, he was amazing. So I think you should definitely hold firm. Don't jump ship on Darvish. Um, I think he's still going to be the pitcher that you were expecting him to be when you picked him up in your drafts. Um, and then for some reliever talk, uh, Daniel Bard with Colorado um, got the save. He's only 47% rostered on Yahoo. Um, he is probably going to be the closer for the Rockies, at least for the time being. So if you need someone for some save opportunities early in the season, uh, definitely consider picking up Daniel Bard. And just for you guys' information, where we're getting a lot of this uh, stats and stories from are actually from our Pitcherless articles. Uh, you can check out the Batters Box, the SP Roundup, and the Reliever Ranks, which come out every morning. And just kind of get your quick fix of who's doing well and who's not. So uh, definitely check those out. That's what we're looking at every single day to kind of get these player write-ups. On April 13th, uh, one of the biggest matchups was Toronto Yankees, and it did not disappoint with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going four for four with three runs, three home runs specifically, uh, and four RBIs. And kind of impressively about this was that his hand actually got stepped on, um, and there was actually a little bit of blood. And obviously, he was fielding um, a ball at first base, um, and he still managed to hit two more homers after that. He hit two homers off Cole, um, and then another one after that. And honestly, he just looked great, and he might be the next Yankee killer. Uh, it'll be it'll be fun to see that matchup over the next really decade. Uh, Owen Miller for Cleveland. He's originally was a second base uh, prospect, but now he's playing first base. He's taking the job away from Bobby Bradley. He went three for five with two runs, two home runs, two RBIs. Uh, so far, he's had six ribbies and eight runs scored so far. Um, on Yahoo, he's got first base and second base eligibility. Um, he's definitely a, a deeper league add. Um, if you've got an open corner infield or mid in, middle infield um, spot on your roster, definitely consider picking him up. Looking at catchers, someone to point out was Sean Murphy. He went two for three, one run, one home run, three RBIs. He's currently 27% rostered on Yahoo, and Oakland is having him in either the three-hole or batting cleanup for them, so they clearly think there's something in his bat. Um, and Murphy hasn't been having an amazing season. He has had three hitless games, but that's kind of what you expect from the catcher position. If it happens, you're expecting it. Uh, when he started in the league in 2019, he did have a 136 WRC+. Plus. Um, only over 20 games, though, so not great. Last year, over 119 games, he had a 99 WRC+. Plus. So not bad for a catcher. Um, but if this is someone that you're potentially, potentially looking for catcher help, 
Sean Murphy might be someone to look at in your leagues. Uh, but more importantly, what everyone was talking about with Sean Murphy was probably his hit by pitch, uh, where he basically just stuck out his butt, I think, like an extra foot and managed to get hit. Um, and just, you know, respect to him for being willing to take the pain. And then finally, Spencer Torkelson. Uh, he had four hitless games. And if you were someone who rostered him, you probably left him on your bench, as I did. Um, and then he proceeded to get a hit. Um, which wasn't amazing in his fifth game. But in the sixth game, he went two for four with one run, one home run, two ribbies. I um, think this is the Spencer Torkelson we are all expecting to see when he went to Detroit, uh, put him on the opening day roster. Um, and I think you can now run with him. Um, I think he's hopefully figured out a little bit over these six games. Obviously, being a rookie in the major leagues is tough. Uh, but it's good to see him get that first homer. Um, excited to see what happens for the remainder of the season. Now, with pitching, we obviously have to talk about Clayton Kershaw. Uh, he was against my twins, uh, so it's kind of unfortunate that it happened to me. But he went seven innings, no in runs, no hits, no walks, 13 Ks, 80 pitches, 41% CSW. He had the perfect game. His slider was amazing. His curveball was amazing. Uh, Kershaw looks to be back, and it sucks that he wasn't able to finish the game for the, the perfect game uh but you know it is what it is i think he said you know he wasn't really willing to go out and pitch for more than 85 pitches and uh so seeing him stop at 80 uh just kind of makes sense for kirsch where he's at right now in the season so obviously clayton kershaw dominant um dominant performance uh, we also saw Corbin Burns pitch, seven in innings, no in runs, three hits, one walk, eight Ks. Uh, just really good to see after that rough first start against the Cubs. Uh, was still lacking command a little bit, uh, but quickly righted the ship. And I think this is the Corbin Burns that you're all expecting to see as uh, you know probably the number two pitcher off the board in your drafts. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's, he's definitely going to proceed uh, without any caution. Uh, this is the Corbin Burns we were looking for. However, on the, on the other end, we had another top 10 pitcher go with Robbie Ray. 6.1 innings, 6 earned runs, 10 hits, 2 walks, 4 Ks, 22% CSW. Um, it just wasn't a good game for him. Uh, the weather was kind of nuts in Chicago. It was just raining the entire time. Uh, but just like his first start, he's he's sitting 2 to 3 ticks lower than he was last year on his fastball. And this is just not something that you really want to see with Robbie Ray. Um, you know, people are saying, you know, it was the weather or, you know, he, he's still warming up um, in kind of a spring training mode. But Robbie Ray is definitely someone who you need to keep an eye out for. It's not looking great. Uh, but hopefully this, you know, he's able to find something as the season progresses and get back to the form that helped him win the Cy Young last year. Uh, Logan Webb looked great going eight innings with one in run for hits. No walks, seven Ks, 96 pitches. Uh, Changeup looked good. Uh, obviously, this is the Logan Webb that we saw in the playoffs last year, um, just dominating hitters. And I think it's good to see that he did this against a Padres team as well. Um, yes, they're missing Tatis, but they, they still have the bats. Um, and so it's good to see Logan Webb shut, shut that team down. Uh, Merrill Kelly, who probably some of you were able to stream, um, he went 5.1 innings, no one runs, three hits, two walks, six Ks. Line looks good. Um, it's kind of what you want from a streamer, uh, but he still wasn't dominant. Uh, definitely someone maybe worth looking at on his next start as well. Uh, I believe Merrill Kelly is actually going to be going up against Washington. So, you know, the Nats aren't that scary of an offense, so he might be still worth um, a look at in uh, when he goes uh, next Tuesday. 
Um, and then going on to the relievers, Tanner Rainey of the Washington Nationals um, got a save, also a K. He's definitely going to be the closer for the Nationals. He's currently 22% rostered in Yahoo, so definitely consider picking him up. And going back to that Yankees-Jays game, Jordan Romano, who's on our fantasy team in the Pitcherless Podcast Network Fantasy League, um, he got his fourth save of the year. So he currently has a 0 ERA, 0.75 whip. Um, definitely someone who's been paying off dividends on your fantasy team. Um, I see... You know, with Toronto, just how dominant that offense is going to be and how many wins they're going to get this year, uh, definitely a good source of saves and holds. So if you don't have Jordan Romano, definitely um, check some of the other uh, pitchers who might be setting up for him. Um, There's definitely going to be a lot of source of holds in that offense as well. Uh, Now we're going to take a quick break, uh, but when we come back, we're going to be joined by pitcherless writer Matt Philpy to go over his upcoming article on Mike Trout, Christian Yelich and Mookie Betts and to see if they can get back to their MVP form. All right. And now we're back from the break. Uh, we're going to be joined here by pitchless writer, Matt Philpy, uh, just talking about what a few former MVPs can do to regain their form this year. Uh, before we get into that, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great. Good to kind of finally talk and get to learn a little bit about uh, your upcoming article. But before we get into that, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the podcast, uh, kind of a little bit about what you do for PitcherList and maybe your baseball background. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I've been with PitcherList for about a month now, so I'm definitely um, a newbie here at the site, but uh, I've been enjoying it. This is this will be the, the third article I've written for this site. I, uh, I wrote um, an article about some some post-type sleepers to keep an eye on this year and, and an article on, on Noah Syndergaard. So uh, I've been enjoying my time so far. I write for the going deep section. Um, so I know that, that you guys primarily focus on, on fantasy here. Um, so that's not necessarily my focus, but uh, I am a pretty avid uh, fantasy baseball player. I've really kind of uh, dove headfirst into uh, kind of the industry this year, doing some NFBC drafts for my first time. I'm uh, doing TGFBI. So I've been really enjoying myself and uh, just kind of enjoying getting outside of just my, my typical uh, local leagues that I do with friends every year. So been enjoying that. Um, as far as baseball, I'm originally from Southern California. Okay. Um, I'm notoriously bad at uh, supporting one team. So uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was a, a Jeter Yankees fan. Sure. Um, but I, my family had season tickets to the Angels during the Vlad and Bartolo Colon years. So I oh, um, enjoyed that. And uh, recently just moved to D.C. a few months ago. So now kind of a, a casual Mets fan. But I think I, I jumped on that bandwagon a year or two too late. <laughs> well you know if you jump on it now then you really can't say you're a bandwagoner right yeah exactly right exactly so, you got Juan Soto so you can't really go right. that's true yeah uh yeah Nats uh definitely are kind of an interesting team this year um they, they came out with the City Connect jerseys which everyone's been talking about on social media um and I know I, I personally got a, myself a hat um, the one with the cherry blossoms on it. So maybe I'm a casual yeah, Nats no, fan too. They're fantastic. I've seen, uh, I live about uh, two or three blocks from Nats Park. So everyone around here has got those on. So awesome. they're nice for sure. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So about your upcoming article, um, it's a little bit about a couple of former MVPs, uh, specifically Christian Yelich, uh, Mike Trout, and Mookie Betts. Um, and just kind of looking at, yeah, like, you know, these these obviously these former MVPs, just didn't really have a great year in fantasy last year um, and kind of just looking at what could they do 
to improve this year um, and get back to that MVP form? Yeah, no, I was kind of just thinking back when I was considering writing this article, just really, you know, couldn't believe when I was doing my fantasy drafts, kind of where these players were, were being drafted. And it uh, just kind of kind of made me think what would they have to do to kind of regain that form and, and get back to being kind of top players in both fantasy and, and in actual uh, real baseball. Right. I, I mean, I think this is one of the first few years in a really long time where Mike Trout wasn't like a consensus, wasn't in the conversation to be like the consensus number one pick in a fantasy draft. Um, I know personally, like in a lot of my drafts, Yelich was getting passed by um, and just kind of lasting a lot farther than his supposed rank would have him be there. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll start with Yelich first. Um, one of the things you mentioned uh, that you're kind of looking at is ground ball rate um, and kind of what in Yelich's ground ball rate. Uh, could you speak to that a little bit and just um, what did that tell us last year um, and what do you think kind of contributed to kind of that sharp increase in his ground ball rate? Sure. So his ground ball rate did kind of increase last year and uh, increased from, from 2019 and 2018. Um, but the real concern, I think, is his fly ball rate, which uh, was the lowest last year uh, since 2016 when he was back in Miami. So he's really just not getting the ball in the air as often as he did during his uh, MVP and MVP runner-up season, um, really hitting the, the ball on the ground. Um, and that kind of just reverts back to what he was doing in Miami, where he was obviously still a very good player, more of kind of a, a contact-first player, not necessarily hitting for a ton of power, um, kind of low strikeout, low walk, but high contact guy. Um, and what really allowed him to kind of reach the the pinnacle of the sport and reach uh, that kind of MVP caliber um, was getting the ball in the air more. That was that was a clear adjustment that he made in his swing in 2018 uh, and specifically 2019. In 2019, he had a 35.9 percent fly ball rate compared with last year at 23.7. So pretty steep drop in his fly ball rate. And um, as far as what's causing it. He did struggle uh, with a back injury over the past couple of years. Right. Um, you know, I'm I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know if that's necessarily what's causing um, him to to hit the ball on the ground more. Um, it's obviously possible. Um, I'm kind of curious. He, during the pandemic shortened season, mm-hmm. uh, he did have a spike in his strikeout rate, um, and I'm I'm kind of curious if that that maybe shook him a little bit. Um, and I'm wondering if he kind of started to revert back over the last uh, couple of years to, to kind of what he was doing in Miami, where looking to hit more for contact and kind of less selling out for power. Um, but, you know, over the past two years, he's also had an extremely high walk rate, especially compared to his Miami years. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering if, if perhaps he's, he's being more patient at the plate, um, but also uh, trying to hit for contact more than power, and that's kind of leading to him uh, hitting the ground on the ball more, uh, which has kind of resulted in, in his loss in power and, and potentially uh, some of that loss in batting average as well. Right, and I think it's kind of interesting because I think you mentioned that his hard hit rates are still pretty similar, right? Mm-hmm. So- yeah, no, he's he's still hitting the ball extremely hard. I mean, his hard hit rates are, are still borderline elite. He's just kind of hitting him straight to the ground now. I mean, right. um, I know we're going to perhaps talk about uh, – uh, this year in a little while, but you know, even just these past couple of games I've watched with the Brewers, I've seen him smoke a ball a couple of times, just right at the second baseman on the ground. So he just needs to, I think if he can lift the ball a little more, that power is still there because he's still hitting the ball extremely hard. Right. And I, I think kind of an interesting thing with Yelich is, is just that, you know, back injuries are a little bit notorious to, 
to come back from. Um, but if, you know, it, it's so hard to say, like, if there's one thing that he could change, you know, mechanics wise or maybe in his approach, you know, what what do you think that what do you think we it'd be good to, like, look for in turn for Yelich to to see to basically kind of get that fly ball rate up? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think he just needs to focus on, on like I said, on, on lifting the ball more. I mean, I he's made the swing change once before, obviously, with the, the ground ball rates originally kind of uh, being closer to kind of the, the mid-teens mm-hmm. and low 20s. Um, and that's kind of where he's gotten back to. So he's he's made the change once before, which is what makes me cautiously optimistic um, that he could potentially do it again and just, you know, lift the ball just that little bit more. Um, and the other good news for Yelich is, is he plays in a great ballpark yeah. uh, to hit power for power in. Um, so I think that it's still in there. Um, and like I said, the, the hard hit rates are still there. Um, his play discipline is, is still borderline elite. So I, I think that if he can just get the ball in the air that, that little bit more, um, then, then he has the opportunity to kind of regain some of that power and, and also maybe some of that batting average as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. This is a Von page pulled up and just kind of looking at his like average launch angles and things like that. It's like, I think last year, his launch angle, average launch angle was like 2.8 degrees. Um, but yeah, that 2019 season where he was, you know, the best player in baseball, basically the launch angle of 11.3 degrees. So it's, it's kind of interesting just how dramatic those averages at least has brought to, have, have been brought down, um, as a result of his struggles. Um, I guess moving on to Betts, um, Betts is interesting to me uh, because I think he's he, obviously he's still elite, right? He's still, um, in some respects, he didn't really like regress to the sense that you know people have been uh, saying that Yelich has regressed. Um, but I think kind of the two questions that you're bringing up um, in your article are basically: Can he keep the power numbers up? Because um, you've been noticing his hard hit rates have been going down, um, and are the Dodgers basically going to let him run? Um, so yeah, it doesn't really look like there's any issues talent wise. He's 29 years old. So maybe it's just kind of age. Um, but realistically, you know, what, what could Betts be doing to maintain that MVP form? Um, and, and yeah, get back to that player that he used to be. Yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, he's still a really, really, really good baseball player. I mean, still top, top of the league in terms of just pure talent. He does not swing and miss very often. He puts the bat on the ball at an elite level, um, still walks at a relatively high rate. Um, those hard hit rates have started to come down a little bit, um, but I wouldn't say that they're necessarily poor by any means. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, Mookie Betts becoming, you know, a hitter or anything here in the next few years. I mean, he's still got, you know, mid-20s probably power potential. Um, in terms of regaining MVP form and, and regaining, you know, potential first-round talent uh, in a fantasy draft, um, I think that the biggest thing he has going for him is playing for the Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's hitting, he's hitting lead off, which I didn't see coming. I, I honestly expected Trey Turner to hit lead off this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dave Roberts has been, has been hitting bets lead off, um, which has been uh, interesting to see. And, and I mean, if he's hitting lead off with the talent that the Dodgers have in that lineup, I think that there's an opportunity for him to have 200, if not well over 200 runs plus RBIs. Hmm. Um, I, I still think that he's got the the mid twenties power potential, and because he's so good at at putting the bat on the ball, not striking out, not whiffing, there's still enough talent there for him to compete for a potential batting title. I think 
So if he's, you know, right there competing for the batting title, uh, has over 200 runs plus RBI, um, I think that there's there's a decent shot that um, he will be in the MVP conversation because it's it wouldn't be past the realm of possibility for him to to be the best player on the Dodgers this year, which in and of itself is is saying a lot. So, right. I, you know, like I said, I, I do think the biggest question I have is is whether whether the Dodgers will let him run or not. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's hitting at the top of that lineup, um, there's really no reason that the Dodgers need to force the issue and run themselves out of innings. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's hitting at the top of that lineup with, with Freddie behind him, with Trey Turner, Justin Turner, Max Muncie, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Right. Yeah. Um, Gabe Roberts might feel that they're better suited just kind of letting him sit on first and, and hope someone hits something in the gap or, or hits a home. Um, so I think that he might be picking and choosing his spots a little more, which could mean closer to, you know, closer to eight to 10 to 12 steals, um, as opposed to the, the 30, 30 that he did during his MVP season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're going to look at like advanced stats from, from bets, you know, what, what might you be looking at just to kind of confirm that he's still, you know, doing, doing well and that he's in MVP form. I would st- I would keep an eye on his his whiff rate if his whiff rate continues to be elite and he's still putting the bat on the ball consistently. If you mix that together um, with his hard to hit rates being not necessarily elite but at least where they've been for the past few years, which is um, you know above middle of the road but but still above average. Um, I think that if you can kind of mix those two things together, um, I think that there's a shot that he, like I said, can can compete for a batting title and, and regain that MVP form. Um, and then I think the rest of it is, is up to the Dodgers lineup because I think that they're just going to help him get to some, some really important counting stats. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I, I, the power, I think, is the biggest question. If he hits 30-plus home runs, I think that, that anything's certainly possible. But I, I definitely also don't think it helped that he went from playing at Fenway, Yankee Stadium, Camden Yards, to playing at Oracle Park, Dodger Stadium, and Peck Hill more often. So right. um, I, I think that there's still an opportunity there for him to – to potentially hit 30 home runs. Um, but, but I would be keeping it a, a especially close eye on, on those hard hit rates um, because he's such a good hitter that if he hits the ball hard, uh, he gets it in the air enough that, that he's going to have a shot to, to get a decent amount of home runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, kind of maybe more of a fun curveball question, but uh, sure. do, you, do you think Betts maintains his uh, elite bowling uh, performance though, despite all the struggles on the baseball field? You know, I do think that that age is better. Okay. certainly right. um with age okay good to so know. i would say yes probably yeah maybe, maybe we see a, a perfect 300 game sometime in the near future from bets yes <laughs> uh yeah it's actually interesting you mentioned hard hit rates because um uh pitcherless colleague alexander chase is kind of he has this whole tableau like pie charts looking at hard hit percentage or hard contact percentage technically uh which is hard hit percentage over p or over plate appearances um, and it's interesting with Betts because he, his hard contact percentage is at like 28.9%, which is like the 63% per- person percentile um, for all hitters. Um, and so it's kind of looking at like, yeah, if, if that increases this year, if his hard contact goes up and he's able to, you know, get to, you know, even that, yeah, mid-20s home run potential that you were talking about, um, definitely someone to look look at. You know, someone who was probably going in the who was going in the second round in most fantasy drafts. Um, it, it'll be interesting and, to see how he does. You know, for this season, obviously the Dodgers look great already in the first first week. Um, 
the other the other thing worth noting with with Betts is he did he did struggle with the hip injury. Um, mm, yeah. So uh, you know there is possibility that 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 could have sapped some of his power or or hurt him or been nagging him throughout the year mm-hmm. um, last year. So uh, maybe with the with the help completely healthy Mookie um, hitting at the top of that lineup. And last thing I'll mention too is just in terms of uh, again going back to how good the Dodgers lineup is. He's going to see so many good pitches hitting at the top of that lineup because the, you can't walk Mookie at the top of that lineup and put someone no. on base. You, you can't beat you can't beat yourself by walking Dodgers. So I would imagine right. that that he's going to see plenty of good pitches to hit at the top of that lineup. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That that lineup is just incredibly scary. And if if they're everyone's healthy, it's just I I I legitimately don't know how they don't win the World Series. But baseball's weird. The best team does not always win every single year. So, all right. Well, moving on to Mike Trout. Um, he was the interesting kind of outlier to me because he was doing great last year uh, until he got hurt, obviously, and then he didn't really play for most of the season. But for for Mike Trout, for him this year, what do you think is the thing to like look out for? With Trout, it's you're right. He is different than than Mookie and Yelich in that he hasn't seen, you know, any clear regression. When he played last year at the beginning of the year, he was absolutely unbelievable. I would say two things. I mean, the first and by far the biggest is is health. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to be healthy. He has to play probably over 140, over 145 games to, to have a shot at the at the MVP, mm-hmm. um, which I, I do think is possible. I mean, it, it's a little bit nerve wracking that it's uh, the most recent injury was a cap injury, soft tissue injuries or a little bit more scary. Um, so hopefully that, that doesn't linger and hopefully that's not nagging him. But from everything that he said and the angels said kind of throughout spring training is that he's, he's fully recovered and not bothering him and he's good to go. So if, if he's good to go and he's playing every day, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's absolutely nothing that, uh, that should prevent him from, from being right there in the race for, for MVP, probably with his teammate, Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say last year, it was a smaller sample size, um, but his strikeout rate did spike a bit uh, early in the year last year when he was playing. Um, so that's that's one thing I would keep an eye on is is the strikeout rate just to make sure that it's uh, that he's maintaining his his career averages, make sure that uh, he's not swinging and missing more than he usually would. Um, but like I said, it, it wasn't a full season, wasn't a full sample. Um, so I I don't think that there's necessarily cause for concern there and. Um, so far this year, he's he's not striking out much at all. So uh, I don't think that's necessarily a cause for concern. But if I had to pick one thing, that would be perhaps the one thing that I would look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess speaking of injury, you know, kind of the hot topic during spring training for the Angels was, you know, are they going to move Mike Trout from center field? Right, like he's he's been a staple in the center field for the Angels for years. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden there's this conversation of like, oh, should we move him off? You know, if you're Joe Madden, if you're the Angels, like, would you move Trout from center field? You know, what advantages do you think that move would make for Trout? Yeah, that was such a strange scenario that played out in spring training where it's, it seemed like the Angels had announced he was moving to a corner and then Trout got kind of caught wind of it and, and said, no, I'm not. So then the Joe Madden came in and said, no, he's the starting center fielder. So that was that was a, a fascinating little uh, story that transpired over spring training. But um, in terms of, of moving him to a corner, I I think that you could. I think that if you were going to move him to a corner, I do think that you would have to move 
Marsh to center field because Joe Adele does not look like a particularly good defender at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that potentially he could improve. So you could put Marsh um, in center field. Um, Trout has lost a step in terms of his uh, his outfield jumps um, over the past few years, but uh, his outs above average are still very solid. Um, he His outs above average are, are actually very similar to what Marsh's were last year, so you're not necessarily gaining an advantage if you put Marsh in center over Trout. Right. Um, so I, I think that just speaks to, to Trout's athleticism, honestly, is that he's lost a step, but he's still able to cover the ball back ground at center field, mm-hmm. um, you know, pretty competently. So uh, I do think I do think you could move him. I think that there's one argument that that could be maybe it helps with his health um, because he's you know having to cover less ground in a corner and potentially you know seeing a little bit less action, so not as many stop and starts in the outfield. As many kind of explosive movements in the field, um, I'm not sure. You know how how much data or science has been uh, kind of looked into in that regard, and and whether that would actually uh, be the case. Um, I, maybe it's a possibility, and if the Angels, you know, have science that says that it's it would keep him healthier to to keep him in a corner, then um, I think you have to consider it. But on the other hand, um, if you're not losing anything, keeping him in center field and you're not concerned that, you know, center field is more dangerous for his health than a corner. I think that you just let Mike Trout do whatever Mike Trout wants to do, to be perfectly honest. I mean, keeping him, (laughs) keeping him happy, keeping him happy and in his daily routine and comfortable and, and just, you know, the less he has to think, the more he just, you know, goes out there and plays, I think the better for the angels. Right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting with the angels too, with, having Mike Trout on the same team as Shohei Otani because with Otani, like he's just going to be a staple at the DH role, you know, in that lineup. And like we've seen teams over the past couple of years, you know, in order to protect health. I mean, just an example, I know like the twins would often use the DH role just to like, you know, give Josh Donaldson days off or Miguel Sano days off or, uh, you know, Byron Buxton days off. But it's kind of interesting with the angels where it's like, they can't really give, Mike Trout, you know, a day off and, and DH him because that's kind of Shohei's role in that offense. Um, which yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, yeah, no, and I, I mean, I think that's that's ultimately why they had to, to DFA Justin Upton as well. Is you just Otani's penciled in for 150 plus games at DH, so where so many other teams have the advantage of of being able to kind of pick and choose and you know basically load manage while still playing uh, players. Uh, the Angels don't necessarily have that um, that advantage, so it does it does make it tricky. I would say that you know, I I don't think it's 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 a difficult balance for the Angels this year because they have to decide whether they want Trout to stay healthy, which means that they might have to keep him out of the lineup some days to get him some rest, or if they're you know so committed to winning the division or being in the playoffs that they they just let him go and let him play mm-hmm. as many games as possible, but risk his health. So it's it's a right. difficult balancing act that that the angels have right now. Yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that, how the season plays out for that team. Um, yeah. So kind of looking then from a fantasy perspective, I know you mentioned you're in a bunch of different leagues. Um, do you got, do you have any shares of any of these three uh, in, in the leagues that you're in? I do actually the, uh, so this was my first year doing NFBC. And, and part of the reason I was honestly so attracted to NFBC is um, I was, you know, people were doing drafts in, in February and, and, Draft, the draft and hold format was kind of new for me. So that was that was fun and exciting. But actually, the first draft I did of the year in February, um, 
I had the, I think the eighth pick and I wound up taking Trout, which okay. looking back on it may have been a bit aggressive. Um, I think I was banking on more steals from Trout than we might get. Um, but I do have, I do have Trout um, in one league and then I, I have Yelich all over the place because in every auction I did, I felt like I was getting pretty good value with Yelich. So mm-hmm. um, really, really hoping for that bounce back from Yelich this year for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I mentioned, I mean, he was, I, I was in a couple snake traps and he was just hanging there. And it, it felt like it was like a, it felt like it was almost too good of a deal to take Yelich, you know, in like the eighth round or, or the 10th round or something like that. But um, yeah, yeah, no, and I, I felt much better about uh, just going in that same area. I, I personally felt much better about Yelich than Bellinger. So if I was making the choice between those two, I, I personally preferred Yelich. Right. Yeah. I think, I think of those two, I think I like Yelich a little bit more too. But um, it's so hard because Belly's so young. You have to imagine he's able to turn it around too. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess, you know, maybe a little bit of overreaction. We're one week into the season. You know, what are you seeing from these guys? Uh, what do you like? What do you not like? Um, you know, what's what's maybe a, a good sign of things to come for, for any of these three players? Yes, it's, it's one of my favorite times of the year, which is small sample size season where yeah. everybody kind <laughs> of reacts to the first first couple weeks of the season so no it's 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 fun early in the year to kind of to try and evaluate um kind of how you did in in your drafts with these players so Mm -hmm. um in terms of Yelich, he has been hitting the ground the ball on the ground a lot which is concerning um right now he has a 63 percent ground ball rate which is extremely high um the good news with Yelich is, is he's been getting on base and uh at an extremely high level and also has been got has also gotten number of base hits so he right now is his average is is very high his obp i think is i think his obp is 500 so um so the plate skills look very good for yelich it's once again uh kind of feel like we're i'm beating the dead horse here but it's it's just can he get the ball in the air that's going to be the the key for him this year and, and so far he's not um which is a little bit concerning but um right. all things considered um not a bad start to the year by any means mm-hmm. um on the other hand, Mookie has, has really struggled early in the year. Um, I think that Dodger offense is, is still getting going. They've got a lot of new pieces. They've moved a lot of guys around in that lineup. Um, so I think they're I think they're still settling down. Um, he hasn't hit the ball particularly hard. I think his I think he only has one hard hit ball event so far this year at 96 miles an hour. Um, so that's that's another thing to keep an eye on is as as we kind of talked about is is whether or not he can kind of put up some some better hard hit numbers this year if they're going to kind of continue to decline. So uh, that's something to watch. He hasn't hit the ball hard yet. Yeah, um, I think he has like zero he's... barrels this season, which is... Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not a great start. No. <laughs> not a great start, but, uh, you know, tons of at-bats to come, tons of uh, tons of games of Coors to come. So I think that mm-hmm. uh, I think that he'll be fine. Um, he's too good of a hitter to, to completely drop off a cliff, honestly. But of these three, I, I think that Betts probably has has the lowest floor. And the only reason I say that is because I think he's a little bit less of a health risk than Trout at this point. Um, Trout, if all things being equal, I think Trout would have the lowest floor. But from an injury standpoint, I, I think Mookie's just going to continue to just be a really good player um, for the foreseeable future. It's it's just a question of if he can can uh, reach that that elite uh, elite level again. Right. Um, I, just to clarify, highest floor, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, sorry, highest floor, yeah. yes. Yes. So, and then, Trout, uh, 
he's kind of just doing trout things at this point. He's, yeah. you know, walking, he's walking a ton. He's hitting the ball extremely hard. Yeah. He hit a moonshot like 455 feet to dead center at Angel Stadium the other night and didn't even look like he swung that hard. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's, he's just, you know, being himself. Um, he has uh, something to keep in mind with all three of these guys. I don't believe any of them have attempted a stolen base to this point this season. Um, so kind of, as we said, with all three of them, probably needing to to have some sort of significant steal contribution to be in the MVP conversation. That's that's something to keep an eye on as well. Um, I don't think we talked about this much with, with Trout, but his sprint speed numbers are, are still ridiculous. So mm-hmm. he's still got the the pace there to do it. It's just a question of, of if he gets green lights and right. kind of goes back to that question about injury again, is are you kind of risking re-aggravating the cap with, with letting him, kind of giving him unlimited green lights. So, right. um, so we'll see. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with these players um, in the upcoming season. But yeah, thanks, Matt, for coming on and talking about your article. Uh, before we let you go, uh, would you like to let the podcast know where people might be able to find you on Twitter? Sure. So uh, you can find me at Twitter at Philpy Matt. Uh, my last name is spelled F I L P I. I do a lot of tweeting about fantasy baseball in there um, and a little tweeting about uh, other sports as well. So. Um, yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again, Matt, for coming on. Uh, have a good one. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Moving on. We're going to talk about some streamers. Uh, we've got Mackenzie Gore, who's officially announced to be going against, up against Atlanta on Friday. I don't know if this is a start you necessarily want. Um, Atlanta's bats are pretty solid. Uh, but definitely if he's on the waiver wire, uh, just pick him up. If he's, if he does poorly, um, I think he's still worth holding on to. It, it all depends on what San Diego decides to do with their rotation. Obviously, with Blake Snell going on IL, um, they're back to a five-man rotation. They're not. I don't think they're going to keep Gore up um, if uh, Snell comes back. But you know, keep him on your team, see how he does, and if he gets some back to the minors, feel free to drop him. Uh, we got Josh Rogers going up against the Pirates. Um, he he went five innings with one and run three Ks against Atlanta. He's not going to wow you, but. You know, if, if he's, I think he's going to be a solid stream against the Pirates. He's currently zero percent rostered on Yahoo, which is incredible. Uh, I think if you're looking for someone to potentially sneak you a win or a quality start, I think Josh Rogers uh, has an opportunity to do that. And then we also have Tyler Alexander on Sunday going against the Royals. He's one percent rostered on Yahoo. Uh, probably avoid, but if you need a guy to go on the last day of your week. Um, he was two start outs away from getting a quality start against Boston, right? So I think in in this situation where he's going up against Kansas City, I think he has a better chance of you know getting a quality start for you, possibly even a win, especially with that Detroit offense clicking behind him. And then on Monday, Eric Lauer is going up against the Pirates. Uh, don't really want to keep picking on the Pirates, but they are bad for a reason. He's currently 12% rostered. Obviously, there was that weird early week jinx for Milwaukee where none of their pitchers looked good. Uh, but I think look for Lauer to write the ship against the Pirates. He did go 4.1 innings um, with three and runs against Baltimore, which, you know, obviously not a great offense. So the fact that he gave up three and runs to them, not great. He did get 5Ks, though. Um, so it's not the greatest track record, but he's up against the Pirates this time. I think if you're looking for a guy to kind of start out your week, 
uh, I think Lauer is definitely someone who you might look at just to you know get some early early week stats. Um, he does go up against Philly, I think, on his next start, so he's probably not worth the pickup in a weekly league because um, he's just probably going to get shelled in that second start. But if you have a daily moves leave, I think Eric Lauer is definitely a good option. Well, that's it for our streamers uh, for this week. Um, again, if you if you like what you're hearing, feel free to like and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, on Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, if you're interested in contacting us, um, you can find us at ThisWeekPL on Twitter, or you can send us your comments and questions at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be definitely, if there's if there's an interesting question to talk about, we might bring it up on the pod. Um, and, and, you know, we definitely listen for your feedback and want to know if there's any questions that you want us to talk about. Uh, you can find me at the John K. That's T H E J O H N K E on Twitter. Uh, you can also talk to Lee on his Twitter at Regicidal, R E G I C I D A L. You send him your well wishes. You know, hopefully that surgery goes well and he'll be back in tip top shape soon. You can also join us on the Pitcherlist Discord by joining PL Plus. Uh, it's just an awesome community. Uh, we've got trivia. We've got fantasy advice. Uh, we've got off-topic stuff. We've like talking about video games, music, pets, food. Uh, it's just great. It's a great community for baseball and really for everything else. Uh, feel free to join and also bug us if you have any questions on the Discord. Uh, definitely more than willing to talk Twins baseball if that's something that you want to talk about too. But that's all we have for this week. Uh, for Lee, I'm John. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully both of us, uh, recapping another week in fantasy baseball. 